You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 66, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Amy Gidden, co-founder and CEO of Daily Haloha. Amy is passionate about connection and is a visionary business leader. You can find out more about Amy at Daily Haloha. That's daily, H-A-L-O-H-A dot com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Amy Gidden to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the upcoming interview you're about to hear with Amy Gidden, you'll hear how her company's app, Daily Haloha, provides an alternative to existing social networking platforms like Facebook. It provides a certain structure within which to engage in social networking more mindfully. And I don't want to give away the interview, but one thing I found interesting about the conversation was the contrast that it provides with existing dominant social networking platforms uh, like Facebook, and just how the features of those networks are not all necessary or inherent features of social networking, which is what we often hear, that uh, Facebook, Instagram are just neutral Platforms, when in fact, in my opinion, those platforms have specific features that were designed for specific purposes and that have real impacts on us when we're using those platforms, whether we intend to have those impacts on us or whether we're aware of them or not. And so, one thing you can do, and this is my suggestion for today, is to consciously focus your attention. On those features, it takes some effort because the path of least resistance when being on a Facebook or another social networking platform is just to use them. And it's very easy to go through your your day and your time being unaware of the features, like the like button, like uh, seeing view counts for how many times someone has viewed a video. But, you know, what I'd suggest is the next time you're engaged with social media and you find yourself tempted to click on a like button, or if you've posted some content, you find yourself drawn to look at how many likes you've received. That's an opportunity to pause and be mindful, to break that automatic habit of seeking out that information in order to get what you hope will be a reward. I like to see a large number of likes, but which often leads us to feel disappointed and regret when we don't have as many likes as we'd like, or to compulsively engage in checking for new likes over and over and over again. So what I'm suggesting is practicing noticing when you feel that urge to like something, to check for likes to use other features of social networking that can become compulsive habits that can lead to feelings of regret or disappointment or shame or or guilt, stop yourself and pause and notice the feeling. And then decide whether to make a different decision about how to engage. But whether you make a different decision or not, 
I think you may find some benefits just from pausing and paying conscious attention to your own habits and seeing them from a distance instead of merely engaging in them automatically. Hope you find that helpful, and I hope and I'm sure you'll enjoy the upcoming interview with Amy Gidden of Daily Aloha. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I, I obviously want to talk to you about your product, Daily Aloha, but I wonder if we could get started by telling people a little bit about yourself and maybe what brought you here to developing uh, this app. Sure. Well, if you had told me even just a few years ago that I would have developed an app, I would have told you you were crazy. I don't develop apps. (laughs) (laughs) I've got uh, a long career in business. I started my career in management consulting and then went into industry, primarily in financial services. So my background has very little to do with developing apps. But I had uh, an inspiration that was rooted in a problem that I was feeling really deeply and I felt compelled to pursue it. I, I had the inspiration and felt like the only way to put something into the world that was meaningful to me was to do the doing. So I pivoted completely away from my corporate career and became a founder of a tech startup. Mm, so what was the inspiration? What is it that motivated you to make this big leap? Yeah, it all started really in the fall of 2016, which we all know was our presidential election. And I don't need to remind everyone probably what that felt like and how that unfolded. And like many people, I was feeling so disheartened, you know, not only by the outcome, but by the process and what that did to us as people, as citizens, as neighbors and how we felt so disconnected from um, from each other. You know, we're all in it together mentality being replaced by this us versus them mentality that sadly has persisted. And, you know, against that backdrop, I had an experience with a simple post-it note project that I couldn't get out of my head. And it sent me on a path to trying to understand what it was about that project that felt so uplifting and unifying in the wake of the division you know, that we were all experiencing. And is, it, is that something I could learn from and even replicate in a digital way? So tell us about this post-it note project that so inspired you. Sure. It, it actually has a name. It was called Subway Therapy. And it was uh, the brainchild of uh, a gentleman named Matthew Chavez, who has done numerous other subway therapy projects. And I happened to be commuting in and out of Manhattan for a consulting project in the fall of 2016. And my subway stop was Union Square, which if you don't know New York, is a pretty big hub, a subway hub in New York City, Manhattan. And he started this project there. And it started very simply with a a patch of post-it notes that were expressing uh, affirmation and unity and uplift in the wake of what felt, you know, yucky and divisive and polarizing (laughs) through the election. Because I was commuting every day and seeing this blossom every day, you know, I really felt like this connection to how the experience unfolded. And, you know, really specifically, I started watching how individuals passers-by who were, you know, hurtling forward to the subway 
interacted with the experience and were transformed by it, by the experience, I started really watching and just uh, lurking around the wall to see how it worked. (laughs) And what I saw was a pretty consistent pattern of interaction as people were passing by. You couldn't help but take notice of this really colorful experience on the wall. People would stop and pause and go over to the wall and read a few. And it didn't take many for for the intention of the wall to come to come through, which which was positive and, uh, and uplifting and affirming. And people would see this and they would feel this call to participate. They'd look around, they'd see a stack of post-it notes, they'd pick their color and they'd really be thoughtful for a moment they think about, you know, what is my contribution? How do I feel in this moment? And what do I want to say and express that's both for me and for everybody else who reads these notes? So they'd write out their post-it note and they'd stick it on the wall. They would invariably take a photo of it and share it out. But what was really fascinating to see is then they would take a few steps back and they'd take another photo with their posted in the center, but, you know, kind of capturing a a greater expanse of the wall as if to say, here I am and here I am part of something bigger than myself. And then they would go on with their day. The whole thing was maybe two minutes, um, but they had a different gait, a different posture, you know, after contributing to this collective experience. So when I when I saw that, it sent me on this journey of trying to understand, you know, what is it about these collaborative art and story sharing projects that can unify completely uh, anonymous strangers in a shared moment? And that's where it all started. That's great. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you're you're describing a way in which this is, people were not just observers; they were observers. You know, they were looking, but also actively participating and then becoming part of the project. I, I know people can go to subwaytherapy.com to check out some photos of the project and see it for themselves. But for those who who haven't seen it before, can you, can you tell give us some examples of what are the kinds of things people would write? I mean, it's a post-it note. There's not a lot of space to to write on there. You said people only spent a minute or two. What what are th- some examples of things people would say on these notes? Yeah, sure. And I'll just I'll just mention that um, before it was taken down, there were fifty thousand post-its. So I do encourage your listeners to go to the website because it's really hard to imagine unless you, you get to have a visual of this experience. And I've also spoken at length several times with Matthew Chavez, who's a wonderful human. And we've had some, some pretty interesting Mandarin conversations about what it's like to do a project like this and give people the agency not just to, to read, but also to participate so to, to, so to answer your question about what, what, what did people write, many of them were writing notes about the fact that we are all still us. You know, the outcome of the, of the election didn't make a statement about our humanity. You know, we're still us. Love Trump's hate was a common refrain. There were notes of encouragement and affirmation to those that might have felt excluded or further disenfranchised by the election, right? So there were notes of positive affirmation and of love and support for all kinds of people. Doesn't matter 
what divides us. It's a, it's a reminder of what unites us and that we all belong here. We all belong. We all matter. And, you know, I see you. A great number of the notes had to, were messages like that, that were really meant for other people to see and feel affirmed by. Now, I, of course, negativity, you know, crept into the wall. Not everybody was happy with the outcome of the election. And there were some very pointed uh, comments about that. But in its entirety, it was really expressions of love and inclusion and belonging. Mm, that's great. Yeah, I encourage people to uh, to check it out because they can see archived you know, examples of of what was up there. So this really had more of an impact on you than I than I'd guess on the average person. I mean, you you weren't just inspired by it in the moment. You took action based on it. So tell us about that, and you know what went through your your mind in the process of developing daily aloha as a result of this. Sure. And it's funny because thinking back on that time, even while I was you know, really captivated by this post-it wall, I still didn't really expect it to lead to a mobile app. It just, you know, it got my gears turning. I was feeling just so disheartened by all that had gone on, you know, in our culture. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I couldn't stop thinking about this experience. So, before I knew that I was going to provide what I thought could be a solution, I just started doing more research. So I started exploring other participatory projects, and I didn't really even know about them at the time. And of course, now that they've hit my radar screen, I see them everywhere. But a couple other notable projects are the Before I Die Walls that originated by the, with the artist Candy Chang. They started in New Orleans, and now they're all over the country and all over the world. And those are not post-it walls, but rather they're uh, chalkboards. But similar to the post-it project, they invite passersby to express themselves anonymously for their own benefit and well-being and for our collective experience of expression and sharing. And there, there are many, many others so I tried to identify them and research them and understand how they worked and you know the, the mechanism, the media. And when I looked at a collection of them, I started understanding what it was about them that enabled them to sort of unite anonymous strangers in this moment of shared humanity. And I was able to deconstruct them into just a couple really simple core attributes and I'll, I'll just you know share those with you. Um, they're anonymous, so that that was a key characteristic of all of these projects. A second one was that everybody belonged; they were open to everyone, and not only that, but everyone mattered the same. Everyone's contribution mattered the same. So a post-it's a post-it. A line on the chalkboard a line on the chalkboard. There's no status. There's no influencers, right? Everybody's welcome and everyone has sort of equal uh, representation who participates. And then the third most important feature is that there no, there's no judgment at all. There's no feedback. There's no judgment. So people could feel really free to express themselves authentically. And then there's two others that are worth mentioning, although those, I would say those three are really the core of the experience. The other two are that most of these projects are impermanent. 
they're not exactly ephemeral, but they're they're not permanent either. So it gives it gives contributors a sense of being in a shared moment together, even if that moment has a little bit of life to it, but it's not meant to be a permanent monument to anything. And then lastly, there's something cohesive about the experience. You know, it's not a free for all. It doesn't, these things don't say express yourself here. (laughs) You know, there's some kind of an invitation to participate or an intention that's super clear so that everyone is sort of united in a simultaneous moment of reflection around something that's pretty focused. And what that also does is create a cohesiveness to um, to all the expressions so that it doesn't feel like an overwhelming free-for-all. It's sort of a focused project um, where people can connect their thoughts to others on a, on a theme. Really glad you, you drew all of that out. I mean, one thing that struck me when you mentioned that there's no feedback or crosstalk is, is how different that is from so much of what occurs online. I'm guessing you're saying that, although I guess, I suppose nothing would have stopped someone from writing something on a post-it that commented on someone else's post-it. You're saying that didn't, ha- certainly wasn't the intention of any of these projects. And it's, it sounds like people generally adhered to that as well, that people were giving their own self-expression, not something in response to or commenting on what other people had to say. Yeah, that, that's interest. It's an interesting observation. You know, my my recollection is that I didn't see anything like that. I didn't see anyone's post-it notes, you know, crossed out or scrawled mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. or commentary. Of course, someone might have taken down a post-it note that they didn't want to give attention to, or you know, they disagreed with. But I that's not the impression I had because certainly, even though there was a cohesion to the thoughts expressed. They were not all like-minded. I mean, there were definitely different points of view expressed on the wall. So my feeling is that people really were in the spirit of free expression and true consideration of a range of perspectives, you know, were kind of abiding by that, you know, unwritten rule of the road there for the project. It would be a good question to ask Matthew Chavez, you know, whether he noticed any of that. But, you know, my feeling is that's not what was happening on the wall. Yeah, I only mention it as a contrast to so much of what we do see online. Not that engaging in dialogue or feedback is a bad thing, but, you know, we all know that so so frequently the direction that goes in online is not productive or unhealthy or, you know, goes to places that people often wouldn't go to in person or face-to-face. And so the absence of feedback, but just having pure self-expression without that commentary is really interesting. It's a different way of enabling people to communicate, not as a group, but in, in a way that is somehow shared while retaining the individuality of each person. That's That's exactly right. And it was really interesting when... I kind of looked at this short list of attributes after looking at these projects because it occurred to me too, you know, it really leapt off the page that these attributes that seem to be, you know, the secret sauce of these participatory projects also seem to be the antithesis of what's happening in social media. 
I, I certainly took note of that. And it sent me down this dual track, honestly, of of exploring what works in these projects and, and what's not working in social media when it comes to giving us this feeling of connection across divides and a sense of shared humanity, if not empathy. So I, so I, to my research, I added this second track of really trying to understand what's going on in social media. And this was back, you know, in early 2017, where certain things were certainly known about social media, but other things were really just coming to light. Cambridge Analytica hadn't revealed itself yet, or it was about to. There was a lot that had already been written about how social media you know, perpetuates echo chambers and there's trolling and harassment has been around since day one. But, you know, again, in the wake of the election, everyone became very curious about how social media aided and abetted, you know, tribalism and echo chambers. And then, of course, fake news and all the rest. So I became quite interested in that, as well as this whole topic that you raised about judgment and feedback And I started doing more research there. And in the course of my research, more and more had been is being published every day about that. What is the impact on perpetual judgment and feedback on how we feel about ourselves, how we express ourselves, you know, our, our ability to express ourselves authentically? And how does the social validation feedback loops that we're caught in, you know, affect our sense, our our well-being and our self-esteem and our feeling of, you know, of connectedness to others? So a lot of research has now come to light on those topics, kind of fake news and echo chambers aside, just how the basic mechanism of social media and the perpetual feedback, you know, feeds into our self-concept and our relationship with others. So when I put all that together, what seems to be working and what seems to not be working with the platforms that we've already had to connect to one another, you know, all of that went into my thinking in in developing, you know, Daily Aloha, which I hope is a new way, a different way to connect more deeply to ourselves and others. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about then how Daily Aloha works and how it helps to promote this different way of communicating and sharing and and feeling connected? You know, it's early days, so we're learning every day. So I'll describe how how the product works, which is quite simple, and also, you know, what we're learning in the first couple months of of launching so far. We launched uh, at the very end of May. So I took my cues quite directly from these participatory projects. So the way it works is I pose a single thought-provoking fill-in-the-blank question to our world of users each and every day. And that question uh, is meant to unite people in kind of simultaneous reflection over this 24-hour period. We do have people participating across the globe, uh, which is just incredibly delightful. It really is unifying disparate people around the world in reflection on, on the daily question. So you're served up the question and you have a moment of mindful reflection just for yourself. So we, we've created I, what I hope is a very refreshing interface where it's just sort of you and the question and you get to have a pause and a think. And because we're free of judgment and popularity contests and status, et cetera, 
the think really is hopefully just for you and you get to fill in that blank with something that really feels true for you in that moment. We say it can be your truthiest truth. <laughs> um, and you fill in the blank. You literally type right into the blank. And when you're satisfied with, with your thought, you also get to give it a color. And our colors are associated with moods. So you pick a color that expresses how you feel. So now you've created a, a thought and an associated feeling. And that is your personal aloha. So that's step one. Step two is a moment of reciprocity. So you send off your aloha and it gets delivered randomly and anonymously to one other participant anywhere in the world. And then you immediately get one back. So it's this moment of give and get. You send yours out and you get one back from someone else and you you see it. It's delivered to you. It's sort of like a ship in a bottle and, you know, you send your message out and one, you know, washes up on shore. And then, you know, you have a moment to, to read the one you got, you know, maybe make a connection to the one that you just crafted for yourself. It might be really different. It might be very similar. It's all delightful, whether it's the same or different. And then you send a reaction sticker back to the person who created the one that you received. And we've crafted eight different reaction options. And they're all free of judgment, but they have different nuances. So you're able to express something back to that creator about how their thought landed with you. And you can express care or an appreciation or a number of different things. It's a moment, it's a sort of a subtle reminder that we can uh, respond without being reactive. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a moment. So you send back this reaction sticker, which is really just simply meant to, to acknowledge so, so that everybody receives acknowledgement that they weren't shouting into the void, but they were actually heard by another real person somewhere on the planet. And then the last part of the experience, and the whole thing is really just a couple of minutes is our own version of the post-it wall. So all day long, all the different halohas from around the world collect for everyone to read. You'll see all the different colors, all the different moods, all the different thoughts that are expressed. And it's a moment of perspective taking and perhaps to connect up again your own reflection to how other people uh, reflected on that same question. I'm an avid reader of our daily wall and you know, it doesn't fail to move me every single day. I mean, it's just like this outpouring of little bits of humanity, you know, on our wall. And you can see the range of experiences that people have that that caused them to respond the way they did. Sometimes you'll see a great number of, of like responses to the question. And other times you'll see really quite a range of responses to the very same question. So it, it is a moment of connecting yourself to a greater a collective of experiences and hopefully, you know, to, for some perspective taking. That's great. Yeah, really good overview of how this works. I can see the relationship to the projects that you talked about. Just curious about a few things. So I assume then that this is all anonymous, like you said, the, the other projects are, that when your aloha gets sent to someone else or posted on the wall, it doesn't identify you by name. Is that right? That's right. It's all anonymous. Um, at this point, we don't even have user profiles or anything like that. The way you or any participant is identified is simply by your location. So when you begin using the app, 
you can set your location and the locations are posted along with your Aloha. The reason we landed on that is it really gives a sense of this is another real human somewhere on earth that expressed this feeling. It's not a chat bot. It's not, it's not, you know, team daily Aloha expressing all this, but it's, it's real people on earth. And People are pretty delighted to see the locations and get a sense of distance. Like, wow, that person's really far from me. And maybe they had the same experience or, wow, that person's really close to me. We thought about that question completely differently or the same. So when people have the chance to see all these expressions from around the world, it does reinforce that these are folks, real folks. And it does, it does create this feeling of, of connectedness to these different nodes of humanity around the world. So we've, we've chosen geography as the way to sort of identify yourself in the app. Yeah, and uh, I'm curious about the response mechanism and the uh, reaction, you know, because that does strike me as a bit different from what we are talking about earlier on the wall where there weren't responses. I wonder what uh, if you could talk about your, your thinking behind incorporating that. I know you said that there was some degree to which it would help people feel some degree of connection with, with other people. And let me just ask a question about how it works. If I post a aloha, it goes to someone. Is that person the person whose aloha I then receive? No, that's a great question. It's not a one-for-one one exchange it's more like a chain reaction. So you get one back. Yours will, will kind of go in the queue to be delivered to the very next person who writes one. And you get one back from the person who preceded you. So it, it's a, we call it a swap, but it's, it's a really a chain reaction of, of communication around the world. You raise a great question about reactions. And we've put so much thought into that, to this. And frankly, you know, I consider this a work in progress. We're continuing to learn about it. So I'll, I'll describe our, in, our intention, though, with it and, and also the feedback that we're getting from our, particip our participants because we've gotten a lot of reactions to our reactions. So it's a very you know, simple two-minute daily ritual. Yet my intention, it's pretty darn big. <laughs> as light as our app is, my intention is weighty. And that is to restore a sense of shared humanity or empathy or affection for humanity and remind all of us that we're part, we're all part of a bigger human story. And there's more that unites us than divides us as citizens or what all the different ways that we're divided right now or throughout time. And as part of my you know, thinking about the app, in addition to the influences that I've described about these art projects, I also dove into empathy and, you know, how does empathy really work? And what, what is empathy? What is that thing called empathy? And trying to get smart, you know, from the, I, I'm not an expert in psychology or collective psychology or sociology. So I, I really went to school on that as well. And I tried to incorporate what I learned there into how our mechanism works. So that's why in the, the daily flow, you know, we start with yourself. You don't go right to the wall to see what everybody said. In fact, you, we, we don't let you see the wall until you've had that moment of reflection just for yourself. A key ingredient in empathy is self-awareness and self-knowledge. 
we think it's important that you have that moment and that you actually make a contribution, you know, before you open up your view to what everyone else has said. So it starts with you and your own reflection. And then you have this, this give and get, this sort of reciprocal moment. And that's also very intentional to give a feeling of real contribution. You know, I wrote something and it went to one other real person and I got something back from one other real person. We hope that that amplifies, you know, the feeling of give and get. I've done something that's meaningful for someone else. I got something that someone else spent some time thinking about and that feeling of you know, kind of gratitude uh, that we've had this moment of sharing together before kind of being part of a huge, like a bigger, huge kind of collective experience. And, you know, another important part of empathy is acknowledgement, you know, non-judgmental acknowledgement that just says, I hear you. And also likewise, feeling that I was heard. So the reaction stickers are fashioned for that, to send and receive acknowledgement, like, I hear you. And rather than just have one sticker that says, I hear you, we developed a series of them so that there could be a little bit more nuance to that acknowledgement. And just to take it one step further, we had so much debate about this. It's very possible that you're going to receive a note, a aloha, that you really disagree with. Someone expresses a point of view that is not your point of view. And we we had a lot of debate about that. Like, what is the reaction sticker that expresses that, but stops short of judgment? Because we, we're, we're not a place for judgment. We're a place for, for listening. So we have one of our reaction stickers says, I see things differently. And it has a face. All of our reaction stickers have face with a little question mark. I see things differently with a question mark. And the reason we did that is to give a little subtle cue that, you know, what if we replaced judgment with curiosity? What if a reaction to something that you don't agree with or even understand is curiosity instead of judgment, which really is a big part of empathy building? So that is what I would say is our most, you know, controversial, I, I guess, or it's, it's the way to send a reaction that's the, the, the least affirming, but still is acknowledgement and maybe a little bit of a cue that we don't all see things alike, but it's okay. Let's get curious. Yeah, it's interesting. When you first started talking about the reaction stickers, I was thinking about the potential impact on the person receiving them, that they might be discouraged or not feel as open to sharing again if they got something that felt harsh. But you've now explained that by by providing a limited set of options, you are moderating that potential. But now uh, I can see how this could have an impact on the people sending the reaction, right? If I'm hearing you correctly, this might, it all depends on the person, of course, right? But it might encourage someone who would be judgmental to think about if there's another way for them to respond that's less judgmental, if that's not an option. Can't stop them. That person might still feel judgment, of course, but if if they're presented affirmatively, with a choice of expressing curiosity, maybe that will serve as a reminder to them that that's a possibility as an alternative to judgment. 
That's our hope. And that's our, that is our intention. So like you're saying, the reactions kind of serve a purpose in both directions. Maybe causes you to think about how do I react and respond to people? And then also on the receiving end, you know, that feeling of acknowledgement with a little bit more information. And I watch the way the reaction stickers are being used and the frequency with which they're each being used. And 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 we're watching it and we'll probably do some continued, you know, tinkering with them. But one of the reaction stickers that is used pretty frequently is sending a hug, which is just lovely. You know, people feel moved by other people's genuine, you know, expressions and just want to send care and comfort. And it's beautiful. That's great. That's great. I'd be curious to uh, check in with you in a while to see what else you've learned as you, you're able to get more feedback on this. I mean, another thing it, it makes me think, and I don't know if this was part of your intention or if it's what you're actually seeing, is that in contrast to social media, where just the sheer volume of responses that you can receive can change the nature of how they feel of how you feel when you post something. You know, getting one judgmental response might feel different from getting 500,000 of them. And your app is excluding that possibility, right? By just allowing this one piece of feedback, which is cabined in or restricted to the choices you're providing. And, you know, if we think about social media creating, people call it an echo chamber or an amplifier, you are like, uh, in signal processing, we'd say dampening (laughs) that effect, right? Prohibiting getting a thousand, a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, or there being a continued back and forth, which might cause you as the sender of feedback to spiral out of control or on the receiving end to feel overwhelmed. Yes. So you have, you know, kind of incisively went right to where we have some tensions in our app that we're grappling with right now. So I'm I'm glad you opened that up because I I just love to share it with you because it's really a conundrum for us. So we've been getting a lot of feedback. And as, as you just absolutely accurately portrayed, you only send a reaction sticker to the one that you get in the exchange, but you don't send them broadly to others. The number one piece of feedback that we get from our you know, kind of early avid users is I want to react to more halohas. I want the ability to react to the ones that I see on the wall. So we've taken a deeper dive to understand that request. And I think even more so to understand the impulse. You know, I was really curious, are people asking for that? Because we are all so conditioned by social media that literally our thumbs are itchy, right, to do something. So is it that or is it truly like a generous human impulse to send something back to someone who took the time to express something that moves us? And that that's a hard question to answer. But whenever somebody expressed that they want to react on the wall, I would grill them. And they were probably sorry they even brought it up to say, well, tell me more about that. I'd really like to understand like what the impulse is. What are your, is it for you? Is it for the person who's receiving it? Why do you want to do that? So, so what I learned is that it's a bit of both. For some people, it's, you know, conditioning. They just want to do more. 
But I would say for the majority, it really was in the spirit of generosity. Like they felt gratitude towards someone who wrote something that inspired them or affirmed them or expressed something sort of painful. And they wanted to acknowledge that they care about them. No one said, I saw something that I responded to negatively and I just had to let them know. It was, it was all coming from a place of care, gratitude, concern, appreciation. So we have been really wrestling with this. You know, how do we, I call it scratching the itch. Like, how do we scratch the itch that our, our participants are expressing to us while remaining really true to our principles And our principles have quite a lot to do with not falling into the social media traps of perpetual validation loops and endless chat and all of that. So we have landed on a plan when this uh, podcast is aired, hopefully it will already be available to users to let people react to notes on the wall without falling into this popularity contest trap. So, you know, we're hoping that it it kind of walks that tightrope between giving people a channel for expression, which is a really beautiful impulse, while not getting into that endless hamster wheel of, of popularity and status. That's great. You don't have to say yes, but would you share with us what that plan is? Because I'm very curious, or we, or instead, we can just wait until you launch it. I'll give you a high level. Okay. Uh, I, I actually can't even tell you every detail because we haven't developed it yet. It's on our it's on our designers table. But we are going to enable everyone to react to any note that so moves them. But one thing to note is that when you when you look at our Haloha wall, you are seeing all the notes in kind of a, a mini form. So you so it's very scannable. But you, you can't interact with any Haloha unless you touch it and make it bigger. And then the interactive features show. So already you can save a Haloha that touches you to your own personal archive. We call that your Haloha journal. You can also share it. You can send it to your mother and say, Mom, I saw this today. I thought you, you, know, you would get a kick out of it or you would you know, relate to this. So there's all, already some light uh, tools to interact with particular messages, but they're not there. You have to take an action to get to them. They're not crying for your attention. The feature where we will let people, you know, add reaction stickers to notes on the wall is also kind of one level removed. So if you want to just scan the wall without being kind of encumbered or even encouraged, if that's not your thing, to interact further, it's super easy to do that. It, it will not feel like you're missing anything if you choose not to go to that, that second level of interaction. So that's one thing. But I think the more important thing to note is that we are not going to show the reactions on the notes to anyone else. The reactions are meant to be between me and you. You post a note, Robert, it moves me, it touches me in some way. You know, my impulse is to let you know personally that you're appreciated, you're cared for, you, you inspired me, you piqued my curiosity, whatever it might be. The whole world doesn't need to know that. It's really between you and me. So when a person reacts to a note, it's invisible to, to, to everybody else. But you, as the creator of the Haloha, will have an opportunity to see a map. That's how we're going to display the reactions 
of the reactions that you've gotten, all these little nodes of connection, people that you've touched around the world. So yeah, it'll be sort of a visual where you'll see if there's a lot or a little, but there's not a count. The message is what's important is these nodes of connection, not, you know, a tally. So hopefully another little visual cue, like, oh my gosh, there's, there's, there's somebody in London who I reached today. And, and, and that's enough for me. Again, it's a matter of emphasis. Yes, we're going to show to the creators the, the reactions that you've gotten. But everything about this experience, hopefully, will, will communicate that it's not about quantity. It's about people that are so moved that they actually took an extra action to communicate something to you personally. Yeah, thanks for letting us know. And look, I really appreciate the challenges of trying to deal with these tensions and and trade-offs uh, as you are. And look, we I don't think we've mentioned the word mindfulness yet uh, in, the, in this interview, although of course, a lot of what you're talking about is a practice of mindfulness in, in many ways. And one of the things you're doing through the product design is trying to be mindful of, of how what the existing dynamics are in the dominant social media networks, which we know are designed in a particular way. And you even said that when you've gotten feedback from people or requests to change the product, you've asked them to investigate within themselves why they have those desires. <laughs> that sounds to me like an encouragement from you to them to, to be mindful, right? To pay attention to their own urges uh, in, in regard to how they use technology, which is, which is really great. I mean, the other thing that strikes me about this, this new plan you're going to be trying out is that it does seem to me that on social media and elsewhere, any site, there's so many sites where you can post comments or reactions to what someone says. It often seems that people are posting with at least two motives in mind. One is to respond to the person they're responding to, and the other is to get some attention. And they get the attention because they know the post is going to be seen publicly. So it's very interesting to me that you're intentionally designing this new feature to not be publicly visible. And I do wonder whether if people know that, it will you know, help to not encourage let's say, that part of people that might post out of a desire to get public recognition somehow for their response. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I've, I've talked to so many people about this topic because it really fascinates me. And I, I think you're right. I mean, there's so many opportunities to grandstand as like a, an original creator, as a way or inner, <laughs> you know, because it's this rabbit hole of response and reactions and further reactions. There is so much of that going on. And even to, you know, to bring it down to a really personal level, I've got three kids, uh, two millennials and one Gen Zer, and we, we have these conversations all the time. And it, it's super interesting to me because my millennial children did not grow up with social media. You know, it came online when they were, I guess, high schoolers. But my youngest child is 21. The minute he had a smartphone, it was all there waiting for him. And we talk about that. And, you know, they've had very different experiences. My younger son says, you know, a friend of mine posts something on Instagram and I'm a bad, you know, I feel like a bad friend if I don't heart it. 
So there's, there's not only is it grandstanding, but it's pressure. You know, it's pressure to constantly validate your friends. And likewise, he says, you know, if I post something and I don't get a certain amount of likes or hearts within a certain time period, you know, I, I might even take it down. It's embarrassing. And I think to myself, oh, these poor kids, right? <laughs> like, wow. You know, and it's not just the kids. It's, it's, it's everybody. But that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. So we're trying to take that, yes, ability to grandstand out of the equation, but also all that social pressure. We can all use a little bit of a respite from that. Yeah, that's really great. I mean, it sounds like with your kid, you know, they're feeling, understandably so, that not posting a like or response is sending a message to their friend, right? Not saying something is actually saying something because of the expectations that people have to receive responses. And so I can see how, you know, why you'd be struggling in the product about whether and the extent to which to even enable people to post responses because of that uh, set of expectations that we've, many of us have developed in response to the dominant social media. Yeah, it has definitely been the hardest thing we've had to tackle yet. (laughs) You know, how to how to enable the right things and don't enable the things that we think are not healthy digital habits and, and all the rest. So we are, we're, we're wading very slowly into some of these territories and we're just going to keep, you know, testing and learning. Well, that's great. And just so to make sure that people know how to uh, find out about you, to find out about Daily Aloha, where can people go? Sure. Well, we are a free app in the Apple Store, the App Store, and the Google Play Store. So the the quickest path to giving it a try is just to go to your App Store and search for Daily Aloha, H-A-L-O-H-A, and hopefully we'll come right up and it's free to download. So you can just get started right away. If you're interested in finding out a little bit more before going straight to the App Store, you can look at our um, our website, which is dailyhaloha.com, and you'll get a little bit more about our backstory and a little bit more of a, a window into how it works. That's great. That's great. And we'll share those links with everyone in the show notes. So yeah, we could keep talking about this forever. I mean, this is really exposes, I think, a lot of the drawbacks and limitations uh, and I'll just say harms of existing social media. So I really appreciate what you're doing and trying to provide an alternative that Let's people express themselves, you know, both individually and feel like they're part of something bigger uh, in community with other people. So, so thanks so much, Amy, and thanks for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. Bye now. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Amy Gidden, co-founder and CEO of Daily Aloha. You can find out more about Amy at dailyhaloha.com. That's D-A-I-L-Y-H-A-L-O-H-A.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at our newly revamped website at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. You'll also be able to find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast for a special episode to wrap up 2019.